Hello everybody, I'm Therese Bottomley, editor of The Oregonian and Oregon Live. This is Beat Check with The Oregonian. Today, I've invited longtime reporter Maxine Bernstein to the show to talk about a recent high-profile crime she interrupted her weekend to help cover. Max has been a crime and courts reporter for The Oregonian for 25 years. She's covered the Portland Police Bureau, the federal trial over the Malheur Wildlife Refuge standoff, and more recently, Oregon Measure 114. So Max, welcome back to Beat Check. Thank you, Therese. So you have a very busy job and an unpredictable beat that you cover. Uh, I think when I gave uh, advice to aspiring journalists recently, I said, if you want banker's hours, be a banker. Uh, But it sounds like one of the ways in your time off that you blow off steam is to go skiing or go running and get some exercise. So tell me about Saturday morning, July 22nd, and when you realized something unusual was going on. Sure. I I was on my usual uh, weekend morning run, which is really to clear my head. Um, I was out a little later than usual, and I always listen to music while I run, mostly so I don't hear myself breathing so hard. But at the end, I was checking my phone, and I saw the police bureau's email alert about a shooting at Legacy Good Samaritan uh, Medical Center. And I saw that they were looking for a shooter uh, and there had been a shooting in the hospital, which immediately set off my radar. That is something very unusual for the city of Portland. It hasn't happened uh, in my 25 years here. Um, so I, I actually took a screenshot and sent it to a source and, and you know, said, holy cow. And um, I got into my car and just instinctively uh, started driving towards the hospital. I know our weekend staffing is much lighter than normal, and this was a highly unusual event, so I thought I could and should help out. Um Yeah, those are great instincts. And, um, you know, Good Sam's in the middle of a really busy, dense urban neighborhood, lots of shoppers and tourists and people standing in line for salt and star ice cream and just all sorts of activity. And um, so, as you said, very unusual to have this sort of shooting in the middle of a place of healing in the center of the, the city. So when you got to Good Sam, you know, what did you see and what did you do next? Sure. I figured um, that our reporter uh, for the day, Austin, would likely show up at the media, the public information officer's media staging area. So I tried to get as close to the hospital as possible, didn't go there. And I ended up parking in the uh, lot of the Starbucks off of Northwest Lovejoy. And as I was pulling in there, someone was waving me off saying the coffee shop was closed because of the sh- a shooting at the hospital. So I, I um, parked there and I walked around the, uh, there was yellow perimeter tape and police blocking off about one to two blocks from the hospital. So I, I walked around the perimeter and I also was um, in contact with some sources just trying to find out if anyone was harmed. And I quickly learned that a security officer was shot um, and possibly another employee. And I initially thought it might have been near the emergency department. So I headed in that direction. And um, I heard um, 
one man near the emergency department standing by the yellow police tape talking on the phone with what seemed to be a relative and asking him if he was okay, what he heard. And I just stood with him for a while and asked him if he had a relative in the hospital. Was he, was he, had he been in there? And he said no, but his brother was there and uh, was supposed to be discharged that day. So I asked if I could speak to him, and he handed me the phone. And this was an uh, individual who had gone, undergone a kidney transplant, was on the third floor, and was described how the hospital was put in lockdown and doors were barricaded, and he, he had heard about three shots, and he thought it was a few floors up. So... Um, I, I sent that information into the newsroom, and uh, while I was out there, I also had heard police saying that, telling passersby, I mean, it was a real sunny, warm weekend day, people were biking, people were out walking, having brunch, but they were all instead walking two blocks off of, away from the hospital or gathering around the yellow tape and um, I heard an officer tell others, you know, stay away from the Fred Meyer. Mm. And that kind of like, I thought, huh, what's going on there? So I, I went from that location to the stadium, Fred Meyer. What, what time about was this, Max? Do you remember what time of day at, it was? Yeah, I looked at my phone. It was about one o'clock, one fifteen. Okay. Yep. Um, so I, I, I think I drove from there to the Fred Meyer and pulled up and I saw there were dozens of people standing right out front of the closed doors on Northwest 20th and um, quickly realized that they had evacuated, police had evacuated the Fred Meyer. They were searching for the suspect, uh, shooting suspect there, and there were shoppers just waiting to get in. So, um, you know, I took some photos and sent more information into the newsroom. And that, that really encapsulates, I think, one of the concerns, you know, we had in trying to get information out that day was you had a hospital on lockdown. So all of the families of patients and families of staff members working in the hospital didn't know what was going on. They had, you know, very little information. Then you had the whole neighborhood, the Fred Meyer, about 10 blocks away from the hospital, knowing that some shooter was on the loose, but not much more than that. And then the broader city just watching this play out and wondering what in the heck's going on. So it, it was a really chaotic and frightening situation where you were trying to get as much solid information as you could to the public as quickly as possible. So when you're at the Freddy's and everybody was evacuated and then you spotted police cars kind of peeling out from there. Yeah, I, I, I looked in the windows in, in Fred Meyer, and I didn't see police like going up and down the, the uh, aisles. But a uh, sh short time later, there were sirens and unmarked police cars racing north uh, away from the Fred Meyer. So I thought, oh, maybe, you know, they found someone at a different location. And I checked on uh, listening to what we can of the scanner traffic. I saw there was real activity uh, on the Multnomah County Sheriff's channel of Broadcastify, where we can hear police radio. Um, and there was a reference to an active hostage scene. And, and I looked up where that was, and it was out 
181st Avenue in Gresham. And I had no idea if that was connected or not, but we had a reporter at the media staging area. So I figured I should check this out, whatever it was. I'm, I'm already here, you know. And so I just took off and I think I alerted someone on Slack that I was heading over there to see if it was connected or not. Yeah, so you started on the waterfront, you went to, you know, the Alphabet District, then you head to the Stadium Fred Meyer at West Burnside, and then suddenly you're heading 15 miles east to 181st and Gleason. And when you got there, you know, what did you see? It was a huge, huge police presence. Uh, you know, half of the block just, um, I think it was just uh, south of Gleason, was all closed off. There were at least a dozen police cars from not just Portland Police, Gresham Police, and Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. And then there were these two police armored trucks right in front of a U.S. bank there. So um, this is also in front of a strip mall where there's an Albertson. So I pulled into there uh, and got out and just tried to figure out what was going on there and talk to people about what they saw or heard. Um, you know, I didn't know if it involved the bank at first or not. Um, but by the time I got there, it was whatever happened had happened and it wasn't active and more police were showing up. Um, so I quickly learned their, their other uh, witnesses had heard gunshots, uh, asked if they heard commands. They, they didn't say, but they were a little further away from the actual, scene and then I would I was just going on every corner trying to get a better vantage point and talk to as many people. I was in my jogging shorts and a t-shirt t-shirt and at one point a TV reporter came up to me saying I look like I knew what what was going on or had I seen anything and I said I'm with the Oregonian sorry I know I don't look like it but <laughs> anyway, so that, that was pretty funny. But I was able to talk to uh, numerous witnesses who heard gunshots. Another person pointed me towards this white van with maroon uh, stripe that was right between the two armored police trucks and said it appeared that was the focus and that there was someone uh, deceased. Um, so I was trying to confirm that. And then I saw... Portland Police uh, Association attorney show up at the scene and the, the president of the Portland Police Union. And when that happens after shooting, it's generally uh, generally suggests that police were involved in the shooting. That was another clue. Yeah. And you were eventually then able to confirm that officially, that one, that police had shot and killed the man and two, that he was in fact a suspect in the Good Sam shooting. Yes. And then you headed home to uh, get back to work and try to wrap up the day and make sense of it all. Right, and I know um, you were working and putting together something um, on the actual, the security guard who was, uh, who was shot and killed. Yeah, you had, um, heard a little bit about his usual workplace. And then at 4.45 p.m., Legacy Health, the employer, 
had sent out a release with his name and, you know, talking about what occurred. Um, and so we were able to put together a quick sidebar on him with some information from his LinkedIn profile and a uh, profile that had been done, a little feature story that had been done uh, by the PSU Vanguard when he was a student there. Um, and then you did what's pretty standard protocol for reporters, started looking in the public record for his relatives to be able to find out more about him and tell me what happened then. Um, I called a family member. Uh, I identified who I was. I asked if he was related to Bobby Smallwood. That was the name that Legacy had put out in a public release on its website as the as the security officer who was killed. Uh, he immediately, uh, the man on the other end of the line said, yeah, it, it, he was the father. And um, I asked him if he's been in touch with Legacy or police, and he's he clearly knew there had been a shooting because he immediately responded. But my son uh, works at a diff at a children's hospital because he generally worked at Randall's Children's Hospital. And so at that point, I immediately realized the father may was not aware that his son was involved, and I didn't want to be the one to divulge that information. So I uh, immediately just suggested. Um, that he call Legacy Health and call the police. Um, and I politely uh, got off the phone. Um, yeah, really tricky situation, really difficult for any reporter. We never want to be the ones to be the bearer of that news. There are people, the police departments are trained uh, in delivering that, making sure there's support uh, for people. Uh, we don't publish names, even, even if we know them, uh, before they have been released publicly because of that need to allow for time to uh, alert the next of kin. Um, I did reach out to Legacy to kind of say, hey, what's going on? And, and they said, well, they had followed their usual protocol, which was to notify the emergency contact on his employment paperwork, but they had not coordinated with the Portland Police. And so I think inadvertently they got out ahead of uh, notification of next of kin. So um, really difficult situation. I think you handled it very well and very compassionately. Um, had you ever had anything like that happen before? I have. Um, I In the past, there was a case where I, I learned the identity of a victim uh, and reached out to family to learn. I mean, we reach out to family to learn about the person. Uh, that's the reason why so they're not just a name or number of another person killed so this was a day or so after the shooting and uh it was a pretty public hype shooting um only to find out the police hadn't yet been in contact with the family uh so again you know i i'm not going to be the one to let them know so i again just told them and urged them to call police um, and unfortunately, I mean, they probably figure it out at that point, but, um, that, and there was one other time, which was a, it was a, uh, a roommate had killed another man in 2009. I looked this up cause I remembered it and the poor parents of these two roommates didn't know which of their sons had been killed and they were like sitting together waiting to learn. 
and it took uh, one of their son's uh, work bosses who drove by the scene and learned that one was in custody charged with killing the other to let them know. And police hadn't yet alerted either of the families. So they didn't know who, which son was in custody or which one was killed. And uh, that was horrible. And I happened to be there with the parents at the time when they were struggling to find out, but, um, Really that, difficult. Yeah, very difficult situation. I think it's different now in the speed of social media, too, that, you know, their information travels so quickly within a community and within a, you know, a, a friendship group or a family group on social media. And I know that that unfortunately sometimes is how family members find out that um, that a relative has been involved in a violent crime or been the victim of a violent crime. So really difficult. There's no real rule book for journalists in that situation. Have to kind of go with your instinct. Yours was to humanely encourage him to get in touch with the hospital right away. And then you, you reached out to the Portland police as well, right? Yeah. I called the uh, Sergeant, the public information officer and alerted him. You know, he said uh, legacy obviously put out the information without uh, coordinating with police, uh, but he was appreciative and he said the detectives would reach out directly to the parents. And then you were able to eventually have a, a good conversation with Bobby Smallwood's father, right? Yeah, the next day I was heading out of town just for a day at the coast and uh, got a call um, as I was going along the mountain past and I didn't pick it up, but went to voicemail. And as soon as I got back into uh, contact, um, had cell phone service, I s checked my voicemail and it was Bobby Smallwood's dad, who I just spoken to the day before. He said he, uh, he wanted, he was seeking more information. He didn't get much information from the police he spoke with, and he wondered if I could fill him in more. So I, I you know, grabbed a uh, piece of paper and a pen and uh, stopped and called him and shared what I could of what we knew at this point and also just at that point sought his and his wife's uh, information more to learn more about his son. And he shared with us, uh, you know, how long he had worked for Legacy, how he loved children and usually was at Randall Children's Hospital, but was filling in there and that he had recently got a promotion um, and that, uh, you know, what brought him to Portland. He grew up in Florida. So I, and then he also, was gracious enough to share photos of his son so we could do uh, a story on who Bobby was. Really, as you say, to humanize someone so they're not just a number. When we have these record homicides, it, we never want someone to just be remembered as a number in a long series of homicides, but to really point out the person that the community lost. I, I wrote my letter from the editor recently about how I wished we could have had more information um, to the public sooner. I wished more had been shared, but I also noted it was a very complex and chaotic day. Um, and this conversation has certainly underscored the difficulties of, you know, getting it right uh, during a fast moving situation like this one. 
But as somebody who was working uh, that Saturday, that terrible day, I, I, I was very grateful to have you, Max, uh, such a dogged reporter willing to jump in on your days off and the care you took with a very challenging situation with Mr. Smallwood. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And with that, we'll call it a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Tell a friend, help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at oregonlive.com slash pod support. Until next time.